0: I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. Welcome into Football Nova Efforts. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at FwordsPod. I am joined today by my 440 Sports founder. And co-host on a football show, Braden Gall. You can follow him on Twitter at Braden Gall. It's uh maybe we shouldn't do three shows a week with uh, <laughs> with our voices, but we're giving it to you for this week. We I don't think I've we've ever had you on the show, right? Uh one one other time,
1: but I think I showed up late, which is why every single time I hear you talk in the open of the show about how professionalism be damned or whatever. whatever it is. I always assumed you were referring to to me showing up late one day, which was a complete, you know, my fault actually. So, um, no, I I am honored though to be in this line of folks that are sort of pseudo trying out for the pod, you know, Mike Herndon, that guy's all right. You know, you've had a few, that many
0: people know of Mike Herndon according to P.K.'s article A very underplayed, uh, personality among Titans Twitter. Nobody has ever heard of him. In fact, I discovered Mike. So Mike really owes me some of his, uh, uh, I I deserve a finder's fee. I've discovered I, I, Mike.
1: The the I, honored to be in this line of folks. However, I only rank myself ahead of one other co-host that you've had, and that was yourself. Oh yeah. Um, the only co-host <laughs> I rank myself ahead of is when. The, your co-host was just you. That's that's the only person I'm ahead of. So other than I don't that, know. I got rave.
0: I got people in my DMs for that uh <laughs> particular episode saying, "Wow, that was a great episode." I I understand how hard it is to do a show all by yourself, yeah. but you made yeah. it interesting. So I don't know. I think you're at, still at the bottom. <laughs>
1: maybe maybe I, maybe I am at the bottom. I will say it is awfully cathartic to lock yourself in a closet and yell about stuff. It's very yeah. to, to nobody at all. It's it's actually quite cathartic. I so.
0: originally, you know, this this episode that we're talking about was two weeks ago. Is the uh, uh, Titan. Offensive outlook where I go through Warren Sharp's great book, which is always one of my favorite books that comes out that's about football every year. And um, I really set out, I woke up that morning, I didn't have a co-host, I was tired. I was like, I'll just do a 10 minute, 20 minute episode. It, yeah, when I got done recording, it was 48 minutes. I'm like, I'm just yep. an unstoppable force of nature. <laughs> every episode I set out to do that's supposed to be less than 45 minutes is always over 45 minutes. It's it's yeah. it's amazing. But,
1: much to much to the chagrin of your former co-host. Yes, um, yes. It's true. And that for me, you, you call yourself an unstoppable force. Uh, my wife would say you
0: just never shut up to me, not to
1: you, but to yeah. me, OK, you said
0: well,
1: that's you just a better
0: it- way to put it right. I mean, it's just yeah. a better way to, yeah, to say that uh, I got my we're going to do a video today uh, as well. We're going to release a video clip. I just want everybody to know I got my Memphis as fuck shirt on. Uh, this was given to me by one of my uh best man in the wedding uh, Blake Strickland who is in Memphis Of course I am a University of Memphis grad I do consider myself Memphis as fuck so you're just going to have to get used to it um is that a
1: shirt does that count as a grizz shirt like a grizzly no right it's not turn?
0: really grizz colors this is just a Memphis, is it's a Memphis pride shirt okay I guess All you right. could say that you know that kind of pride but just like I have pride in Memphis gotcha gotcha the uh so 440 Sports Football Show. If you're tuning in to hear Depth Chart Talk, you're not going to get it on this particular episode because we already talked about it. Me and Brady had already given that to you. Go to a football show wherever you get podcasts. Look up 440 Sports and subscribe to all their podcasts, but specifically go listen to the football show if you're looking for Depth Chart Talk. We also went through on Monday, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time Live. We also went through defensive position by position and talked about one thing we love and one concern that we have with every position. So great episode. Go to YouTube for 440 sports, go to YouTube for Broadway sports, go to uh, Facebook for 440 sports, go to Facebook for Broadway sports. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> go, go to Twitter at efforts pod at Brayden gall at Broadway TN at 440 sports there you and go. turn on all the notifications. You'll never miss a live episode. And I, I tell you, Yes, it is me and Braden, and you may not think it, but this is the best show that, that that's live. I mean, it literally is the best you live show have, about Tennessee. Wait,
1: way, way to sell it! Look, you yeah. may not believe this, but it actually is a good show. Well,
0: like <laughs> uh, people accuse me of of hyperbole a lot. You know, it's a no. global show. 440 Sports is global. We realized that yesterday. Yeah, uh, it's football true. and other efforts has been global for four years, by the way. So it'd be like five years. So since we started, we've almost been global from the get go. Because I know the guys at Outkick 360 were touting that like a, a year into their thing. I'm like, man, we've been global for forever. That's not that hard. Well, yeah, and and
1: you don't have to clear any protocols either. Like no. we just we don't have any protocols. You just no protocols. Be you can kind of come and go as you please, in and out of the pod. Um, yeah no absolutely football show every Monday and Thursday 1 pm Central time live stream across all the platforms and then podcasted of course so make sure you check that out as well Look as at that he took other, over the hosting
0: duties already all <laughs> the other great
1: <laughs> podcasts that are on the 440 sports and Broadway sports media networks there's lots of great shows out there so if you if you care about sports in this city any sport any team any subject matter there's there is an offering a great product for you so go check it out
0: well, let's talk about why 440 Sports was started. You know, let's do quick history, sell people on, okay, there's A to Z, there's 440 Sports, there's 104.5, there's 102.5, there's PK, there's .com, there's Outkick 360, sure. there's the Tennessean. Why, for with your history and background in radio, why 440 Sports and why should people tune in? Um, so I, I'm just going to use as many
1: F words as possible because we're, I love not, it. On, we're not on we're not on a football, football the show. And technically, you can pod. use
0: as many. I was told you can use as many F words as you want on a football yep. show. You 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 are. Uh, uh, you just just me? It. <laughs>
1: is it just me? No no no. You just use it better than I do. Gotcha. Like when it comes out of my mouth because I've done so many years of radio where I had FCC overlords, like looking over my shoulder and, and practicing not to say things like asshole like you can say ass on the radio but you can't say asshole which is very strange to me but well, i love the the hole is a totally it's,
0: different dichotomy very, of the word. Very, yes it
1: is. It's a very particular part of yeah. of the ass. Um, uh, so i number one frankly the way people consume their their media radio in general as a distribution model is totally fucked. It's just fucked. It's 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 foobar because how many radios do you own, Zach? I have one in my car and that's it. I don't own one in my house. I don't have one for tornado warnings or whatever because I got national severe weather for that, like I've got YouTube for that, I've got the internet for that. I don't need radio. The hosts are still great, the t- the content is still solid, but they, you know, radio itself as a distribution model of high-quality content is fubar. It's 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 done because you have to execute a certain science to get people to tune in for 5 minutes and blah 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 blah. blah. You don't get to spend time with the things that you love. And so I've done radio my whole life, and I've done podcasts for about 12 years now. I've got one for Athlon Sports that covers college football. And the bottom line is you get to explore topics. You get to go deep into Mike Vrabel's coaching tree. You get to spend... We did 45 minutes on a football show just talking about special teams history of Mike Vrabel's coaching staff. So those are the kinds of things you cannot do on radio because it needs to move fast and appeal to a large audience. What you guys have done here on this show... In all the different iterations that you've done it, Music City Audible does a great job of this as well. I'd like to think all of the things that 440 Sports has launched is about building a more closely knit community of people that care about something that wants to go deep and they're okay disagreeing and they're okay with different opinions and they're okay challenging each other on how to think about stuff. And uh, you and I always say, no empty calories. The F Words Pod has always embodied that belief. And that was sort of the core principle. Was we want to be uncensored. We want to be ungoverned by the FCC. And we want to spend time with the shit that we love. And that you, the audience, loves. And you can't... Like, I work for ESPN Radio. I cannot do that on ESPN Radio. I just can't. I cannot spend... I can't spend 15 minutes on ESPN Radio talking about Craig Ackerman. It's just... It's not... <laughs> I'll get fired. <laughs> it's It's not going to work. Um, but we get to do that on shows like this. And I think if you're a Titans fan, that is why you listen to shows like this. And you, all the other ones for 440.
0: So. Well, you also... On 440 Sports, you got... Uh, hockey shows, you have soccer shows, and you have something that I personally do enjoy trying to tune in as much as I can is lamestream media with you and Steve Cavendish, which I think is it shows people the other side of not only just Nashville media, but maybe sometimes, oftentimes, what's going on in national media. But it's a very peek behind the curtain kind yeah. of deal. And to me, what I like about that is because it kind of shows what people are going through right you a lot of people think okay you show up to a radio show you do a radio show and you just talk there's no science behind it there's no math it's just like okay if you're if you're if you're a certain type of radio personality you are pigeonholed into this and this is you just go out there and just you know give out hot takes without any right. concern for anything else which is not necessarily the case but it's also nice to see the history of some people uh, what i enjoyed Throughout your whole thing that you were just talking about, the history of 440 is that apparently that football and other f words inspired you. So again, fa- finder's yep. fee. I need like much like discovering Mike. I have we inspired you, so I'm gonna have to have finder's fee for that.
1: So we can do like a we we can do like a miniature lamestream sports here for like two minutes here, because when I was when I was coming up with the concept, I was actually talking to a, a larger national company about this, and I had meetings in New York about launching. A digital sort of a Nashville radio station, but on 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 digital platforms. So, because we had this particular company had a lot of assets in the market that that could cover every every different team. And I wanted to focus hyper locally on Nashville because I don't think Nashville sports fans are particularly well served in the audio space. There's two radio channels. There's some really good hosts on there, but that's all your that's that's really all you get. You don't have any other choices. Uh, and so I thought, okay, let's do this digitally. Well, then the pandemic hit like the next week, <laughs> and I was like completely shut down. So, by the end of it all in the, in the fall, I had started thinking. I had a lot of people that I respect and care about tell me, dude, you just got to do it yourself. And so we started kind of organizing it all. And the very first phone call, because I knew what I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to do a media show, and Steve Cavendish was on board. He's a ner- media nerd and sort of like Richard Deitch. And we wanted to tell those stories and give people a peek behind the curtain. But we all, I knew I wanted to do a Pred show because you can't be a national sports. Media company and not cover the Preds. I, I had Adam Vingan, who I thought was the best host possible at the time, to do it with me. I wanted to do an SEC football show because that's my favorite, and I'm not going to not cover SEC football. Um, we launched eventually a couple months later a, a soccer show with Wes and Tim, who do a great job, Club and Country. But the very fir- one of the the very first phone call, one of the two first phone calls I made was to Mike Herndon to say. I, I'm not going to do a Titan show, but I have to cover the Titans. Are you guys interested in, in being a partner and working with us? And he was like, funny, you should say you're starting an independent media company. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then like all of a sudden we sort of realized that the Broadway sports and 440 sports thing were sort of happening at the same time. And, um, uh, that's how we sort of ended up working together. And it was, uh, I called Chris Lee at Vandy sports. It was like my next phone call. And I wanted the best Vandy pod on the network as well. So it's been almost two years now. And, um, uh, we think it's we doing growing. pretty. We think it's doing pretty well. We announced a big partnership with the Nashville Scene in the Post this week.
0: Again, what all does that entail? Like, to explain the partnership, uh, in in a way that okay, fans were. Sure. What do they get the benefit of with joining with Nashville Scene?
1: Well, so the Nashville Scene and Post obviously has a a, a the, their brand of sort of thoughtful, nuanced, irreverent fun but very sometimes very serious and critical journalism and reporting i think fits into what we want to do but also they're very much a digital like they've got their print magazine that comes out every thursday which we all love and i read all the time but they also have a very they're very good at the idea they're they're incredibly good at putting on events they're incredibly good in the digital space and so we're going to benefit from them from a promotional standpoint growing the audience putting pushing the product out there hopefully some cool stuff planned in the live event space for them from them as well and then in turn they don't really have a a lot of audio video content at all and so we that's what we do uh is is audio video and so there was sort of a perfect blend there i am an admirer of their products for 25 years since living here and so honestly like I, this sounds cheesy but like i could not be more honored to be partnered with the Nashville scene and have the little Nashville scene logo and post logo on my pred show and you know have our logo on their products it's just it's it's a cool opportunity and i think we are going to evolve the digital media space together. And I think that means a lot more stuff coming for both parties and for people in Nashville while so I staying think it's focused on
0: Nashville, I think all that's Nashville, the key part. It's all Nashville. All Nashville. it's
1: all Nashville. It's all Nashville. We have na- we only have, we have Nashville musicians. We have Nashville, um, sponsors and, 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 you know, uh, partners that, that work with all these products. And, uh, I, yeah, it's all Nashville hosts, Nashville sports, Nashville topics for Nashville fans. And hopefully, again, nutritional, thoughtful, engaging content. We want it to be like a family, so you can disagree, and that's fine. We can yell at each other and cuss at each other, and that's fine. But then come back the next week and be best friends, and that's sort of the whole point of like real content instead of just right. being instead of just yelling at your radio or your TV about how awful something is. We actually have a an interaction in a community. So,
0: uh, when do I need to be at National Scene headquarters for the cover story? Uh, obviously, uh, an, an issue all about me.
1: Yes, we've got a photog uh, coming to the house soon, and uh, I'll be... wear my
0: Memphis's fuck shirt yeah, <laughs> or, for the Nashville scene.
1: <laughs> that'll go over well, uh, <laughs> considering the strange, bizarre, and sometimes uh, hilarious the Bad run. Boy of Titans podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> so good. <laughs> um, considering the the healthy and bizarre rivalry between Memphis and Nashville, yeah. I think that would go that would go over quite well.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it would it would go over great. Um, so speaking of next big things and the new era of ushering in Nashville sports media, uh, for those who have been wondering, host is locked down. Got yep. a host coming. Just gonna be a couple of weeks away. It's gonna be huge. Gonna be massive. It's gonna change the way. Not only has football and other f words, and this is this is just straight true changed the way Titans fan podcasts have worked over the years and what's been mm. successful. Mm. And that'd that just plain scientific fact. This is going to set the bar again for Titans fan podcasts or for Nashville yeah. Titans podcasts. If you, in, in my mind, we're going from fan podcast, I guess you could say to legit Titans media podcasts with the addition of this co-host and it's going to be huge, it's going to be massive. I am ex- fully excited. So I, a I, couple
1: more weeks. I could not agree more, and uh, I agree that it it does ch- change the dynamics of Titans podcasting in the market. There's no question about that, and very excited about it. And it won't be me, so yeah. ne- never fear, folks. Never. Fear. So
0: far, in the since Lebowski has left, you have not heard of this person uh, heard from this person on okay. the podcast. So okay. there's there a go. little tease of who who it could be. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Good luck figuring it out. Um. So let's dive into a topic that I think that. I kind of wanted to do an article on it and I'm like, I, I keep looking at it and I'm like, this is not really going to be great in written form. So I kind of ditched it, but it's Mike Vrabel's coaching tree, which tends to be a topic on then when he is brought up, it's basically the most recently it was Steve Smith's podcast with the Dory Jackson, um, where he is misconstrued as a Bill Belichick coaching tree disciple. Now, nuts. Nuts. It, it, I think it drives those of us that cover the Titans really nuts. And I think for a lot of fans, it's driven them nuts. But then you got to look at, well, what is Mike Vrabel? And what coaching tree is he a part of? And we'll get to our answers at the end. But let's, let's go through and t- talk about what he's not. So as a player... He spent four seasons with the Pittsburgh Steelers, eight seasons with the New England Patriots, and two seasons with the Chiefs. In that time, Bill Cower was his head coach, Bill Belichick was his head coach, and Todd Haley was his head coach with the Kansas City Chiefs. Which so one of these three long? Yeah, <laughs> wide range of personalities, right? Um, yeah. And then he goes on to coach uh, linebackers with Ohio State in 2011. Then he moves up to defensive line coach in 2012 and 2013. And then from there, he heads out to the Houston Texans, where he, from 2014 to 2017, he was linebackers coach to defensive coordinator for one season in 2017. And then now he's the Tennessee Titans head coach since 2018. There's a lot of ties to Bill Belichick, obviously. The playing days. Yep. Then coaching underneath, coaching underneath Bill O'Brien, who is part of the Bill Belichick tree. So... I think it's an easy, lazy connection for people to make, but let's talk about why that isn't the case. Why is he not a Bill Belichick tree with that overwhelming amount of evidence? So This
1: is the beauty of the podcast versus the radio thing. You would have done that in radio in like half the amount of time (laughs) with half the amount of information, and we just would have yelled at each other. Yes, he is on the Belichick tree. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Like, here's the difference. Technically, he has never coached under Bill Belichick. So technically, he is not a part of the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Now, as a human being, has he taken lots of influence from all the people you just mentioned? It is very obvious that he is cut from the same cloth as Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, these attention to detail, ego maniacal, like... You know, paranoid schizophrenics like that is what he is clearly taken his influence from. And that is a great thing. But you do not technically get to call him a Bill Belichick. Like, I will say that even
0: with Bill O'Brien, I mean, we're talking about because he never coached.
1: He never coached under Bill Belichick. But isn't that the tree how the
0: tree works, though? Because like, isn't Sean McVay technically a Mike Shanahan, even Mike Shanahan, even though that. Well, I guess they did coach underneath them. But then you you have to
1: be on his staff. So
0: the disciples, so Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, oh Matt LaFleur coaching. Okay, let me ask you. Let me ask you. I'm really not making a good point right
1: now. (laughs) Here, here, how about this? Is Arthur Smith count as the Bill O'Brien coaching tree? No. No, he doesn't. And so Mike Vrabel does not count as a Bill. You have to have worked on that person's coaching staff to be considered part of the coaching tree. That's just like I to me, that's just like a fact. Like I don't think. Now, again, this is where in podcast form, we get to spend some time with the nuance of it all, which is obviously he has been influenced heavily by Bill Belichick. I think he's been influenced
0: by all these guys. I mean, I think if you look at Bill Cower, you could definitely see I think he's a lot closer to Bill Cower in terms of personality than he is Bill Belichick in terms of personality.
1: I, I could get on board with that.
0: And I think that he has a fiery attitude like Todd Haley. I think that in in the sense that Urban Meyer was a college coach that and Bill O'Brien too, that kind of got along with their players, right? That's one point they were all like considered players coaches. Mike Frable's considered probably right now, I think the players coach in the NFL. You, you've and made the and Tomlin, Bill Belichick has the mind games. You, you've made the Tomlin
1: comparison. I mean, I think they're both yeah. cut from the same, very, very similar cloth. Um, I think I, the other thing about him and Belichick that's very similar is that like if he if you can get the right smart question to them about like the history of the game or the role of a certain position, how to play a certain position, like if you get them into teacher mode, like being a true teacher, then they both like to then they'll open up like a flower and start talking right. about all this stuff that they love, and so there there's a lot of similarities. On to Cincinnati is like how Mike Vrabel lives his life, <laughs> you yeah, know? Like, pretty much. So, so I again like. I think there's like a technical, it's kind of arguing semantics. There is a technical definition of a coaching tree. And then there's an obviously more gray area of, man, I used to study Bill Walsh books when I was a kid. Like obviously I've taken an influence from Bill Walsh or whatever. Like there's, there's no way that all of that stuff isn't baked into who you are as a coach. Um, But when you say who is the best Bill Belichick assistant coach, my answer might be Brian Flores. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like that, like, Brian Flores coached for him. Now, Brian Dayball, Josh McDaniels, like there, there are guys that coached for him, Romeo Cronell and Eric Mangini, and like on and on down the list, those guys worked for Bill Belichick. So you have to have worked for him to be technically off of his coaching tree. Um, and, and Vrabel, Vrabel, Vrabel's like the sapling seed that got dropped, and then when he got dropped into the ground, he became the, the Titans head coach, and that is when his tree sprouted and grew
0: up into the air and now he has this before jersey. before we get to that, because I, I agree with where you're going. And let's not forget that before during Mike Vrabel's playing days, he actually had designated defensive coordinators and designated linebackers coach, which seems to be for the last few years as a Patriots coach. It hasn't been the case, right? It's been kind of like the he's doing everything and he has the title with no defensive coordinator title given anybody. Yeah. So you're talking about Charlie Weiss your, uh, no way, but was he offensive coordinator?
1: Romeo Cornell would be
0: defense. And, uh, yeah, I think even Dean Pease was defensive coordinator as well. So when you, when you're talking about in terms of actual coaching that he received, it's mainly going to be from those guys. Obviously Bill Belichick has his hands in everything, but it's mainly going to be from the defensive coordinators and the linebacking coaches that were there at the time. So to me, it, it, again, No, the only it's very almost indirectly related to Bill Belichick. Yeah, for for the most part, I am with you. He has his own tree and obviously he's already gotten someone hired in Arthur Smith. I think Shane Bowen is next. I think there's going to be a case for Tim Kelly and Todd Downing down the line. In fact, last year, I can't remember who does these either Phil Yates or Tom Pelissero does an article and I've probably is probably neither of them when it's all said and done, does an article talking about the next head coaching candidates for the next wave. They do an article in the middle of the season and say, these are the what he's hearing as coaching candidates next right. year. And on that list last year was Todd Downing, which I thought was insane because Shane Bowen should have been on that list. However, there is a chance that in the way this league operates, if you're a mediocre white guy, there's a good chance you could be a head coach. So <laughs> there's a good chance Todd Downey could be head coach. But that's that's tremendous. But in the in the sense of I think that he's Frable has a lot of up and coming coaches under his tree. And I think that there's a chance that he at the end of the when it's all said and done, he's gonna have probably five or six coaches that are representing his tree because he has started his own tree.
1: So you tell me what you you think about this, because I believe that the second you become a first-time head coach in the NFL, like literally the day you become a head coach and you put a staff together, that is the day your coaching tree is planted. Like every single one, every single coach that's ever been a head coach, some of them are like planting trees in the middle of of July in in the summer this year in Nashville, where there was no rain and the sapling just died immediately. Uh, Eric Mangini, (laughs) you know, whatever, like... Guys, guys, careers that clearly didn't last, like it just disappeared and they didn't work and the tree died and all the leaves died and all the coaches that came off those branches died and like maybe they went on to do great things, but like that tree's over because he's not coaching anymore and he didn't, wasn't very good. Mike Vrabel's first staff, and this is what I think is really interesting about Vrabel and because obviously he is not a full blown like hundred foot oak tree here yet, right? Like it's this, I'm going to continue with this stupid analogy. It is... He he's still just a a couple of years old, right? But it's but it's growing, it's taking roots, and it's bearing fruit because on his very first coaching staff, seven of those guys are still there, which is a sign of good coaching continuity and relationships. Two of them are already head coaches in the NFL. One of which is ha, has won t- uh, thirty nine games. Can you last- count
0: Matt Lafleur as like because yes. he he coached under Shanahan and Sean McVay?
1: You can come from different trees. But Mike Vrabel gets credit for Matt LaFleur. He gets credit for Arthur Smith. And he had a Hall of Famer and Dean Pease on that staff as well. So he had three guys, two head coaches and a Hall of Famer as basically two of his top four or five coaches on that first staff. And seven of them are still there, which means not only did he identify upside talent and use it and, and, and gain from it, but he also has continuity as well. And we can go, there's a lot of other things he's done, which I think are really interesting. There's a couple of bad decisions in there. But there's also a couple of really interesting ones where you bring in these veteran guys that come in and help you for a a little while. And he's done that again each of the last two seasons. So there's a lot like he has been very creative with how he's put it together. He's not afraid to do any one strategy or or another. He tries it all. And so far, it's been fairly successful. I'm not with you. I think Todd Downing has to prove a lot this year with the pieces he has this year for me to say I think he's deserving of being a candidate. Uh, Oh, I
0: now Listen. I never said he was deserving. I said that someone else had heard okay. that he right. was on the radar of certain teams. I thought that guy was crazy. I do but again, mediocre white guy. They, if, been, if, if their offense loves if, mediocre white guys.:
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. If this offense is back to how about between 2019 and 2020? Not as good as 2019, but closer to 2020. Then yes, you're absolutely right. Todd Downing is going to get a lot of credit, and he's going to get a lot of run, and he's going to get some thoughts in the offseason. My, my um, predictions, if we were making them, are I, I have far less faith in that happening. I need I yeah. want to see it before I believe it. Shane Bowen Downing. will get
0: head coaching jobs next, or uh, head I agree coaching with that. job interviews next year. I, I fully believe
1: it. I, I I believe that because the defense is going to be good, the numbers will be good, you know all that stuff, the development of the players. Even if it's I wouldn't mostly be surprised Brable, if
0: Jim Schwartz did.
1: I yeah, I don't know why he's, Schwartzy wouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, that's a name, sorry to interrupt. That that's no. a name that I find I, going through this this exercise to prepare for this, I I like I knew a lot of this stuff, but then I kind of see all the different strategies he is willing to deploy. Right. And how he builds a staff and I find that to be like it it, it seems like he's just open to all different types of possibilities. And whether that's hiring the LaFleur hot candidate because you know he's going to go on to be a head coach and you get him for one year, whether that's developing Arthur Smith from a previous staff and then building him up to become the OC, whether that's going to get a veteran like Dean Pease or Jim Schwartz or Jim Hazlitt, for example, or even Tim Kelly to some degree where you bring in a guy that's been around a long time and you can kind of use him for as long as he wants to be here. And then also he's got guys like Pat O'Hara and Keith Carter and Rob Moore and... You know Terrell Williams and Craig Ackerman, who've been here for years, that are just like part of the team now. So um, it, it's a really interesting strategic decision-making process that he's willing to be very flexible on. It seems, and I think that's a sign of a good leader.
0: Well, that's why you're talking about Coach of the Year he kept the locker room together. I mean, not to be dead horse, 91 different players and all that jazz. And you know, I think that this this whole philosophy of this team is the fact that it's just they they have they have their way of doing things. Their way has proven it works. And if you do not want to buy in one hundred percent of of how this team does business, they're going to get rid of you whether and if you don't perform up to expectations, barring outside forces, you're probably going to see the door. So in, yeah. in my mind, and when it works, it works, and it's going to continue to work. I hope that Rabel it's very hard to hire a coach like Mike Rabel and to keep him on board with your team. But I am hoping that for the full tenure of his coaching career, that he gets to stay in Nashville and he retires a Tennessee Titans head coach.
1: I, I think we would be very fortunate as a city and a collection of fans. If, if that were to happen, um, I also think he's made like, there's not, not every hire has been great. Like, I don't think Kerry, Kerry Coombs was all that great. He went to Ohio state and he wasn't great there. He's been demoted essentially. Now he's at Cincinnati. So I don't think that was a great hire, but he went and got, he went and got um, Anthony midget. Who's now been there for three years. This will be his third season coaching the defensive backs. And now the defensive backs are great. <laughs> yeah. So, so and, I, and I'll, so. I'll
0: be honest. I was an Anthony midget hater. Uh, I, after that t- disastrous 2020 season, I didn't believe in the hire to begin with, and I didn't believe in the hire after that season, but credit where credit's due. He turned me or turned my thinking around. I think Jim Haslett was a little bit of a rough spot as well. A little blemish. I think um, they let, what was the... Hey, what uh,
1: about Konechi Udesi? How about that? Yeah,
0: but there was uh, the linebackers coach that went to Miami. Um, uh, McKenzie. McKenzie. I thought that yeah. was a bad move to let him go. But then again, where's he at now? I think the Lions, I think, maybe. So well, and here's
1: we could also step back from this entire conversation and just ask a more basic philosophical question, which yeah. is how like in, in college, I think coaching is incredibly important. The lo- like the lower levels you go in football, the coaching becomes more and more valuable. So when you go from the NFL to college high high college football, like Sabin and Kirby Smart, then you go down to like Lower P five, so like Mark Stoops at Kentucky, and then you go down to like the G five, like you know Troy and you know MTSU, and then you go down even further to high school. The further you go down, the coaching becomes more and more and more important. And the higher you get, the coaching becomes less important. It's more about players. You got to have players. I I don't know how, and this is I don't know what you think. To me, the NFL is about your head coach and then the opposite coordinator. And those are the two most important people on the staff. And so in this case, Mike Vrabel is the head coach. We know what his background is. We know what he likes to teach. It's line of scrimmage. It's defense. It's, it's development. It's personal accountability. It's all these things. It's culture. And then it's about who's designing the offensive plays. Like, I'm not sure how much all the... Like, Keith Carter's done a pretty good job. But there were some moments there at the beginning where we go, I don't know. I don't know about this offensive line. And, and the same thing with... With McKenzie, same thing with Coombs, same thing with Midget, same thing. Like, it's easy to say the defensive backs got better when they, <laughs> when they added Amani Hooker and they added, you know, Christian Fulton got healthy and Caleb Farley's now out there. Now they got Roger McCurry and Elijah Mold and like, the players make that go to some degree. So I don't know what you think that sometimes coaching is a little overvalued in the NFL from a staff perspective, but I do think the head coach and then the opposite coordinator, especially if you've got a defensive oriented head coach, I think the offensive coordinator then becomes, those are the two most critical pieces. And then obviously the Shane Bowen becomes kind of number three on that list. But again, don't you trust Mike Vrabel to instill all the philosophies and principles? Like it's, it's Vrabel stuff, you know,
0: that that's, that's where I, I think it's just all Vrabel. Him and John Robinson's are so connected in the way they want to do things and how they want to run things that it just is to me. It's like, I can't doubt anybody. We talked about this on the football show on Monday where we're talking about Chance Campbell, you know, probably playing significant snaps snaps because Dylan Cole's injured, Monty Rice is injured. And we talked about how he's a little undersized, but then I made the point of, but if anybody can turn an undersized linebacker into something, it is Mike Vrabel's staff. And more importantly, Mike Vrabel, because we've seen it with Jayon Brown. We've seen it with David Long. So why not Chance Campbell? He's got the athletic profile. Uh, the measurables. He's just undersized. So And he's smart, so why not him? So it's like, yeah, linebacker depth has taken a hit this last uh, few weeks because it went from one of the deepest parts of the roster to probably one of the weakest. But you, you look at it and you're just like, but it's Mike Vrabel, right? The inside yeah. linebackers yeah. outside of Rashawn Evans just being a complete disaster and a moron have always been done their job pretty well week in and week out and, 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 and now you guys Zach cunningham and david long yes. i just to me it's just like this is this is nothing this is great this well, is like you know my
1: question for you my question for you let's stay with linebacker because okay. you brought it up like my question for you would be if you're ranking all the reasons why that position has done well right it, like to me Bobby King's the linebackers coach this year you can't even click on his name on wikipedia doesn't even have a wikipedia page
0: didn't even know that was the guy's the linebackers coach Bobby King name. is a lot li- never the even inside, heard of him. he's he's the
1: inside linebackers coach so my question is when when David Long when David Long executes a play with good proper fundamental technique let's say it's a you know it's a blitz or a drop or whatever where you need to put your feet in a certain place put your shoulder pad in a certain place put your hands on on a on an offensive guard who's pulling and make sure you keep your outside leverage so that your outside arm is free and all of a sudden you're pursuing an outside run play and you make a tackle in open field with proper form and technique, right? Right. Of all the things that that just happened in that play, who is the most responsible for all of that? And where does Bobby King rank? Cuz I would argue it's the player first, Mike Vrabel second, and then the position coach third.
0: Yeah, I would make, I would agree sense? because when you really look at it, David Long, Jam Brown, at the times that they performed, performed in spite of their position coach, right? I mean, like Jim Hazlitt, who who was he? And I mean, he he was like Rashawn Evans' biggest supporter. And look at Rashawn <laughs> Evans. And and Rashawn Evans was just a he's not a player that plays with a lot of uh, smarts, in my opinion, or good instincts would be a better way to put it. And I think that I think it comes down to what the player is willing to do. And knows what to do. And I think David Long, Chance Campbell are those kind of guys that have always been instinctual, willing to make the tackles and willing to play in coverage. Same with Zach Cunningham. And I think Vrabel knows how to utilize that. And I think some of these coaches, probably like Bobby King, he he has a meeting. He says, here's how we're going to teach the position. So isn't really Bobby King just echoing or doing the bidding of Mike Vrabel?
1: And and I would yeah I would agree and even on offense where I think you could argue like oh shouldn't Rob Moore for example have more impact on how you know Traylon Burks's breaks are developing and how he manipulates the cornerbacks DBs and should he go over his face or underneath him or behind him like I've se- I've seen Mike Vrabel coach that like it's I know you your instinct is to say oh he's a defensive coach he probably doesn't get involved too much in coaching the wide receivers no he <laughs> he is involved in coaching everybody it doesn't mean that he's you know a, a it doesn't mean he's not better at outside linebackers, defensive line, front seven players, because that's what he played. Certainly he's great at that. And maybe the offensive line as well, because he went up against those guys in as a player. But like, I've seen him coach a DB and a receiver in one-on-one drills and watch him teach technique to how a tight end should even be like uh, elbowing off the linebacker to make sure he creates just enough space in the back of the end zone to go high point the football and come down in bounds. And then he's teaching the quarterback where to place the ball. Like he he does it all. And I'm not going to like, again, to me, Harold Landry is another great example because he played Vrabel's position. Harold Landry has developed through his career as a Titan. He's gotten better to the point where he's one of the highest paid players at his position now. Number one, that's Harold Landry. Number two, that's Mike Vrabel. And number three, it's Terrell Williams. Like It's not Williams that, that is responsible for that contract. It's Landry and Vrabel. And I don't mean to demean the coaching staff here. It just feels like Vrabel is far more hands-on and far more of a teacher than almost any other coach I've seen. So I, I would say talent of player and head coaching philosophy are the two reasons that players get better. And then the coaches do Vrabel's bidding. And so I think there are
0: certain players where that flip-flops, where it's the head coach is bringing out more of the player yeah. than really the player's talent. Like That's the thing about Mike Vrabel. It seems like he gets the most out of any player that he has on his roster that is willing to learn and listen from him. You know, a lot of people can get away with some God given talent and think their way's the best and knows the best. But got to remember Jadavian Clowney's best year. Uh, I, I guess I, I don't really know what he did with the Browns last year when he had, of course, Miles Garrett was under Mike Vrabel. Yeah. So, and you're talking yeah. about a guy that not a lot of people could do anything with other than Mike Vrabel because it felt like Jadavian Clowney was trying to get on. He knew, he acted like he knew better than anybody else. Yeah. So, Let's let's switch from the Mike Vrabel coaching tree because we both agree. Own coaching tree has started. It's in full effect. It's starting to bear fruit. Yep. Fully you agree. Two, Not to Bill Belichick coaches. coaching tree. Yeah.
1: Two head coaches in the NFL off yeah. that coached from him, one of which he developed and promoted to offensive coordinator. I don't right. like.
0: So let's go to preseason. So what we're gonna do. So on um, Thursdays, a football show. We are going to talk about what to look for, what to be excited about, what to watch for and why, what you could take away from the preseason game. Today, let's set expectations for certain players, whether that's, you know, what you expect, how much you expect them to play, what what you think that they will do in the game. You know, that kind of stuff, like let's okay. set some expectations for the fans. And I think that the most important one is probably going to be a duo of Logan Woodside and Malik Willis. And I fall under Logan Woodside, probably a drive, maybe two drives. Maybe that extends into a full quarter, quarter and a half. Then Malik Willis the rest of the way.
1: That, that's I was going to say you started with a couple drives and I was like, I'm going to I'm going to go at least a quarter with Woodside. Um, I could also see once they switch to Willis and they go with him for a chunk of time, I think they need to let him play for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him a breather like midway through the third quarter woodside comes back in and they allow willis to do some study work in real time to then go out and implement some things that maybe they're looking at on film on the sideline so so there might be to me there could be a a a switch back to woodside at some point but no last
0: year they were switching drives between barkley and woodside barkley and woodside and and i agree because i wonder because you know everybody's so excited to see malik willis right but I get worried that, okay, he's a rookie, right? He hasn't technically been sacked yet, and but there has been plenty of times in the game, in these drills where he could have been sacked and creamed and depend on the offensive line in front of him. Yeah. I worry about if they he plays like a full three quarters. I was thinking about this last night. If he plays a full three quarters, don't you, and all the reps leading into the preseason, you really escalate his risk of injury.
1: Yeah. I think what's going to be interesting because he could go he could go two different ways. Let's call it. I don't want to call it like bad play or poor play, but let's just say not great play. Two different ways that could happen. How is that different from bad play or poor play? (laughs) I guess guess. (laughs) Um, because because you're working through things and you're trying to you. you, It's okay to put bad stuff on tape because you're trying to learn from it. Right. I, I think. I mean obviously you want to be perfect but like that's not where he is
0: right now. He's got to learn how to you be You should an NFL not have the expectation that Malik Willis every throw is going to be phenomenal, no. on point and astonishing. So there's but, there, there's one expectation to set for the fans.
1: There you go. So there's two expectations here for Willis's bad play, let's call it. Whatever bad cuz there's going to be some good stuff. There's going to be a couple of plays where he just runs around and wows everybody with his athletic ability. There's going to be some plays where he makes big throws and you're like, "Whoa, there's the arm. That's the arm. I, I the reason that he's an NFL player." and there's going to be some really highlight good moments. There's also going to be a lot of bad stuff. And the question for that I have is what are there's two different types. One is in in rhythm step and throw, the throw is terrible, the read is bad, there's interceptions. But you're in rhythm and you're doing what you're supposed to do, which is trying to go through your progressions and get rid of the football. Then there's the other type of bad, which is can't make any decisions at all, holds it too long and is running around out of the pocket too quickly and gets a lot of pressure, takes some hits. And is running the football too much, so that he's not actually getting any work throwing the football. So those are the two ways that it could be bad. I expect to see both of them. I'm curious which you think would be better for him. I think actually throwing the interceptions would be better for him to learn than it is for him to hold the ball too long and be indecisive and run around and 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 you know, maybe he throws it away, maybe he gets sacked. I would much rather see him throw interceptions but do it in rhythm and with like some conviction than to just run around and not get any throwing reps, if that makes sense.
0: I, I look at it this way. I don't want any panic runs. Or yeah, exactly. I, yeah. My first guy's covered up, I'm immediately taking the ball down and running. Right. Now, if he's right. doing a Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers thing where he's moving around the whole width of the field, looking for a play downfield, I'm fine with that as long as he doesn't get crushed and he gets the ball away in time. That's a lot asking for uh, to ask right. of a rookie. But I'd rather have that than him see that his first reads covered up in like one second, and then he takes the ball and he runs because that's, to me, is not a guy that is, you got to be able to, if you're going to take advantage of your athletic ability, yes, sometimes on an RPO, that's perfectly fine on, you know, on all that kind of stuff, perfectly fine to take the ball and run. However, I don't want him to see the, a panic run. And that's when the first guy is covered. He immediately, instead of going to his second or third read or going through his progressions, he immediately takes the ball and runs. Because that was the yep. big knock on him coming out of college was that he didn't go through his progressions. He didn't go through his reads. Doesn't even know how to do it. So when you're looking, when this staff, look at it from the viewpoint of the staff. They have been teaching him how to go through his reads, how to go through progressions, how to be a quarterback. If he's not doing that stuff, regardless of if it's a fantastic athletic play or not, if he's not doing that stuff, they're technically not really gonna be happy. They may look a little happy on the sidelines, but in the end, we know that the staff, wants things done their way, and they want to see him have progression, if he's not having those progressions on the field, it doesn't mean that his career is over and he can never amount yeah. to anything. It's just that you want to see signs that he knows how to play quarterback at the NFL level.
1: Yeah, th- this is exactly what I'm, what I'm saying is the panic run doesn't allow the moment of teaching. Right. The, the panic run is, is like when you put that play, if you're Vrabel and O'Hara and Kelly and Downing and, and Willis and you're in that room watching film of the game and you see a one second read panic, don't see it run away move. The teaching on that play stops the second he pulls the ball down. There's nothing else you can teach, right? It's the just only like, thing
0: you can teach is basically look at how much protection you had and then look at these guys probably, depending on when they turn around to see Malik Willis is running, look at the receivers that were running open right. in the defense. That's that's it. With but, an, but, I'm with you. With an interception, you could see so much more. That's what I'm saying. Like Stay in
1: there. Even if it's a bad throw or a bad read, throw the football. So then you have what it feels like Willis then has that memory, has that experience. He can explain what he saw. He can explain what he didn't see. And then you can zoom out of the film and say, look, here's where this guy was open. Here's why this safety rolled this way. Here's where this corner was on this side of the receiver's hips or whatever. Like you can do all of that. If you throw the ball, If you don't throw the ball. And because the second you pull the ball down and take one step, one direction, the coverage changes. And then you can't, and then you can't teach anything after that moment, other than to say, no, stay in the pocket longer go through your reads. If you go through it and you make a bad throw, there's so much more to be learned there. So I'm fine with like three interceptions. Like I'm fine with like nine for 17 with three interceptions. If he's throwing a lot of passes in rhythm, because then they can teach off those decisions. And that, I think that's way more important than if if he's, you know, seven for 11, but like with 14 carries, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't want to see that. I want to see mistakes with the arm through the air because that's teachable and they can correct that. And from all accounts, Willis has been willing to, to learn from his mistakes.
0: Okay, so we got Dylan Radins and Nicholas Petit-Ferrer are basically competing for the right tackle spot. And my expectations for them versus these, which would est- essentially be in the first preseason game, no starting defenders, right? So my, the expectation for Dylan Radins in particular, because we've seen him in preseason last year, is he's going to have to show basically drastic improvement over that and a drastic improvement even over the San Francisco game. He can't be getting bullied. ran over, which he did last year in the Tampa Bay preseason game and the Atlanta Falcons game. He can't be giving up sacks and and pressures almost every snap. So he's going to have to play and lock down that right tackle. And I expect them to split the halves. I think the first half will be one guy. Second half will be the other. And then the next game, they'll flip flop it. So I think Raiden's first half, Nicholas Petit Ferrer second half. And then game two, it's Nicholas Petit Ferrer first half, Dylan Raiden second half. So what are your feelings on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything that you said about sort of the situation that they're in there with the two of them battling. I think I'd like to see both guys with both quarterbacks because I think you're going to like that. You're going to like, so let's say Woodside gets. First quarter, third. Let's just make this up for a second. Let's say Woodside gets first quarter, third quarter, Willis gets second quarter, fourth quarter. I'd want to see Raiden's with Woodside and then Petite Frere with Woodside. I want to see Raiden's with Willis and then I want to see MPF with Willis because they obviously are going to have different styles of blocking. Like, you only need to hold your pass pro for a second or two for Woodside. He's going to get the ball out. It's going to go. You just have no clue where it's going to (laughs) go. Like it'll go in the direction of the right read. We don't know how accurate accurate it's going to be, but blocking for Woodside should be in theory a lot easier than blocking for Willis. So I want to see both players with both quarterbacks and see what they do. And frankly, Tannehill's game is far more like Willis's if you're talking about movement and athletic ability. So that's what that, I want to see him play as much as possible within reason, and then play with both quarterbacks. That would be my two two bullet points with those two guys because they they need to get some reps for sure.
0: Okay, so let's set some expectations for the back end wide receivers slash kick returners, punt returners. Uh, w- not really concerned about Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips, Robert Woods, um, or who's the fourth one? West, Westberg Westburg- and yeah. you know I, you want to see Traylon Burks maybe it may be a couple of drives, if any, I'd, I don't know what they'll do with that, but I'm not too worried about seeing those guys in preseason game one. I, think Phillips, I admit,
1: Don't you think Phillips plays more than Burks?
0: I think so. I, I would imagine yeah. so, but I don't think he has anything to prove, right? Like, I don't think there's anything that I'm too concerned about as far as setting expectations for like Mason Kinsey, Racy McMath, Des Fitzpatrick, these guys fighting for the yeah. back end of the roster spot, even though the, we both kind of agree, it's like, The four I previously named Racy McMath in its own tier, and then it's the rest of them fighting it out. So it's like set some expectations for these other wide receivers like Reggie Roberson, Josh Malone, when they they have Malik Willis and Logan Woodside thrown to them.
1: Well, if you're McMath and, and clearly has caught some deep passes from Malik Willis in practice. So I would expect them to take some shots when those two are on the field together. And I think that could be fun to watch whether no matter what happens to the football, it's gonna be fun to, it's gonna be interesting. Um I, I remember like last year's camp, it it was it was Marcus Johnson versus Chester Rogers, and that was like the hot debate on the sidelines, and they were good in camp practice. And then I think Rogers had like a great punt return in preseason. and then we were just like tracking all their their stats in the preseason. I think that's what we're going to see with the group you're talking about, which is McMath, Roberson, Malone, Kinsey and Fitzpatrick. Those five could be fighting for two spots. And right now, it's probably McMath and and Dez Fitzpatrick on the top of that list. But let's see what they do, because Kinsey makes more plays than Fitzpatrick in every practice. McMath has now gained ground on all these guys and makes plays. Roberson's had a couple of really nice practices. Malone has had a really consistent all-around camp so far. He doesn't have the wow plays, but he rarely makes mistakes. So it's sort of going to be like, how how well do they play in special teams? Like how well? There's a lot of different angles here. Kinsey's a return man, right? So there's a lot of different things. I think you want to put them out there in as many different situations as possible with both Woodside and Willis, and let the and just let let let's see you can ball. Let's see you can play. And I, I think if McMath's stuff is real, the stuff we've been talking about, the speed down the field, the ability to go up and make big contested catches, uh, uh, you know, down the field and make big plays. Let's see it. Show it to us. Make it happen in a game. I think that's important.
0: I fully agree, and I would encourage everybody to go back and watch last year's preseason where Makai Sargent and Mason Kinsey were killing it, and (laughs) neither of them made the roster. So I urge caution. Do not buy into every little thing. But, you know, there is a spot for Mason Kinsey and a path to make this roster. We'll just see how it progresses in the regular season or in the preseason. (laughs) And this is not like
1: this isn't rocket science here, so this is probably master of the obvious stuff. But if Racy McMath is out there in this with the starting offense and runs three straight series, and they target him a few times down the field, and then he doesn't play again, isn't that a pretty good sign he's on the roster?
0: Yeah, and I th- as long as he's you know doing everything correctly, because that's the big thing with Racy McMath. He w- he's always been six three, two hundred and twenty pounds, and runs a four three. It's just that that hasn't translated to on the field. Now, obviously, this. Practice It has, but now let's see it against a defense that maybe is, you know, not te- technically better, but let's see it against a, a defensive coordinator that is not someone on your own team,
1: That's like, how I'd put it. If the, the second Malik Willis, if Racy McMath and Malik Willis are on the field together, the second they get inside the 40-yard line, I want them taking a deep fade shot. A, yeah. a go-route outside seam. Because it teaches you all the stuff. You need to know about the, the, the right tackle production s- status. You need to know about Willis's ability to read that and go down the field. And you need to know if Racy McMath's ability to go make that play is real. Okay. So like, I want to, inside the 40-yard line, take a shot outside the seams, down the field, especially if you get man-to-man coverage with Racy McMath.
0: Real quick, set expectations for Caleb Farley, and Roger McCurry, their playing time, how long they'll play, and all that kind of stuff.
1: I don't know if you want them playing. Do you?
0: I want Caleb Farley. I think I think for like a drive or two. I think a drive or two is fine. But I think definitely Roger McCreary has to play. I
1: I'm with you on a drive or two, maybe three for McCreary. But like I don't I don't know if I'm putting Christian Fulton out there. I don't think he should
0: have to be. uh, Christian Fulton's proved himself. Chris Jackson has proved himself. Greg Maven technically Bayard Hooker. Those kind of guys have all proved themselves. Theo Jackson should probably play the majority of as a safety. You know, my thing is that. Yeah, it's. I think McCreary, Brown, I think McCreary should be playing. I, I understand that he's had a great camp, and I understand that he has a great pedigree, but there's something about being in a game that you need yeah. these rookies to get their feet wet because Molden played a lot last year, and I think it benefited Molden.
1: Yeah, and, and obviously him being banged up means he's not going to play. Right. So I, I would assume, I'm with you, I think, I am I'm more delicate with Farley than I am. A he's been yes. in the league and he's got the injury history. So maybe a series or two, and then maybe you give Mercury like three or four. But again, I'm not risking too much because with Molden already banged up, you, you wanna you know, you don't wanna to, to to multiply and all of a sudden two of your five defensive backs are hurt. Like you just gotta be super careful, but you're right. McCreary is in, in need of reps. Here's I would say this about him as a player. I think he is far more game ready like Molden was last year than some of the other guys. Like, I just think yeah. he's a, his skill set, his mind, his football IQ, like the way he's built his game for his career. Like I just, in college, I just think he's a, he's a game ready player. Um, It doesn't mean he's a starter, but he, but it, but it means he's a game. I just think he's game ready. Like, I don't need to see a ton of reps out of him, but I think it's important
0: and valuable. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that'll be, that'll be it for the show to get more in depth into things that we're excited about, what to look for, what to watch for in these position battles for the preseason game one against the Baltimore Ravens. Tune in live on Thursday, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time to every Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, whatever you want to watch us on. Watch it because that's when we're going to give you the bulk of the information on the preseason game. And it'll also be on pa- podcast form later that day, but you you have to listen to it before the preseason game. So, you know, <laughs> don't feel a need to rush if you just watch us live. And that's all that we ask. Just watch us live. There go. Um, that's 440 Sports. Uh, brain plug some other stuff that's going on on 440 this week.
1: Yep. The YouTube page, of course, is where you get a football show and all of our SEC football content. So fringe element and all kinds of fun stuff planned planned there for you for the season. So make sure you check out the YouTube page, subscribe, turn on the notifications, as you've mentioned. Club and Country Podcast, if you like Nashville SC, of course, Wes and Tim do a great job on that. You've got the gold standard, which is now partnered with the Nashville scene, uh, along with It's All Your faults, That's me and Michael Gallagher. That's, uh, that, that show is, is we're, we're super excited about the Pred season as they actually did some good things this offseason and might actually be a better team this year. So Lamestream Sports comes out every single Friday. We had a long conversation with J.R. Lind last week, who's one of the best writers in the city or was the best writer in the city, who is now gone, has moved to L.A., uh, we're going to have a long college football conversation with a national radio host this week. So we'll have that coming up. LameStream Sports out every Friday. If you care uh, about uh, Steve Cavendish bitching about Music City Baseball, please check out that podcast. He likes, oh, to do that.
0: So, Stoney, he likes to do that every week. Listen, Stoney <laughs> Keeley, our our friend, uh, descri- wrote an article about them being the Illuminati or whatever. <laughs> they are. For the SoBros Network. They reached out and said that they to Stony and said we need to meet to clarify some of the stuff in your thing. So obviously, rest in peace, Stony. <laughs> oh man, yeah, the Freemasons are
1: coming for you, buddy. They're coming for him, <laughs> the Illuminati, um, the
0: uh, Music City Baseball Illuminati is coming for him.
1: I'm I'm not sure Music City Baseball has a sense of humor about all of this. <laughs>
0: <It's>, <laughs> we we may
1: be next. That's what I'm concerned about. Um, and and the, yeah, the, we the two things we like to pick on the most in that show are Music City Baseball and uh, the Tennesseans. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's not fair because guys like Ben Arthur do a great job. Aria Ginson does a great job covering Vanderbilt. Like Drake Hills does a great job covering um, Nashville. See, there's really great people working there. The organization itself is just a little broken. Yeah, uh, but yeah, all the pods. Check out all the pods. Music City Audible. We love the F words football show. You know, just check them all out and. And uh, rate review, subscribe, share the products, and uh, support all the sponsors as well. It's really important to us. So we, we appreciate it. Thank you, Zach. Well,
0: no problem. That will be it for us uh for Braden Gall. You can follow him on, on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Zach Lyons, you can follow me on Twitter at F This has been Football and the other, other F words, and you have just been f Broadway Sports Media Production.